Welcome to Offscreen. Let's get cinematic. It is Christmas Day, people. Happy Christmas, everyone. It is happy Christmas, Bex. How how you enjoy, how's your seasonal uh, seasonal vibe this year? Are you you getting into the spirit? Do you know what? I'm kind of taking each day as it comes. I'm not stressing <laughs> out about it. If things don't go to plan, it's fine. You know, we got some extra outdoor Christmas lights that arrived yesterday. We put them up. They've made the house look like something out of it's a wonderful life and you know or maybe more home alone actually maybe more or something like that but we go very richard uh, richard curtis cottage vibe around lovely around the holiday the almost yeah almost like that very much the holiday kathy maybe not quite as uh, rustic a little bit more yeah. update but nice. uh, anyway one thing we have got for this uh, this seasonal uh, seasonal time uh, are a pair of movies a pair of new releases that you can uh, that you can watch in your home both available on subscription-based platforms. So we have one on Netflix, which is already uh, available to you. This has been available since uh, Wednesday, December 23rd, and that is Midnight Sky. And on Disney Plus from today, from Christmas Day, uh, we have Soul for you. So let's start with Midnight Sky, Bex. So take me through it then. George Clooney's latest. George Clooney with a beard is all you need to know. Um, I've been teeing you all up for this for weeks. Um, This is an interesting film. So it's set in two parts, essentially. You've got On Earth and you've got On a Spaceship. And um, what it follows is the last man supposedly left on Earth, played by George Clooney called Augustine, um, who is a scientist. And he has some sort of illness, assume it's cancer, Um, He's decided to stay back whilst all of the other uh, people on Earth flee because something catastrophic has happened to wipe out Earth. And the only other option is to start a colony over on a moon called K-12, which a spaceship full of people, including Felicity Jones, is en route back from. We've lost contact with NASA and everyone else. Is this a glitch? You really believe that? I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth. Take a deep breath. There is an antenna stronger than ours. We get there, they'll hear us. Is anyone receiving this? It's gonna take a walk outside. Comms is still up. So it sounds a bit exciting, doesn't it? And it has got that that attempt to sort of, in the marketing at least, to fuse that sort of let's do uh, no surprises by Radiohead, and we'll just we'll ramp up the tempo. And you think, okay, you know, I'm down for that kind of speed, that kind of speed here. And uh, Clooney, very early on in Midnight Sky, has this uh, this leaning towards the you know the great grand style of visuals from like 70s science fiction, from Russian films, from Kubrick as mm. well. You think, okay, so you've given me that market campaign to get me through the door good old gc the cloontang is is giving it the old sci-fi cred here okay we're on we're on and and for the most part i quite liked it i did i did quite like it i think it has what i would describe tonally is something in terms of how it balances a contemporary filmmaker's eye with classical sci-fi the closest thing i would say it comes to is something like gattaca 
in terms yeah. of that thermal sensibility. But at the same time, there are elements of, for instance, The Martian, Ridley Scott's The Martian in there, which is kind of interesting because that's Matt Damon, you know, this is George Clooney, so we've got that kind of Ocean's Eleven lineage going through there. And of course, we've also seen Brad Pitt go into space recently and add Astra. So Danny Ocean's crew are just going galactic, it seems. So I say, for the most part, I quite like this. I think it assumes, based on how broad it is, though, that the concept is doing a lot more heavy lifting for them than it actually is. Mm. Like, I don't think the concept, which is part survival drama, part psychological drama, and also part ticking clock thriller in one sense, that it really downplays that ticking clock thriller, but then at the same time expects that to be carrying it, I think yeah. is asking a lot. But for the most part, I think it's a really well-made, really well-acted and solid film. Yeah, and actually, I just thought it was a really beautiful film. Um, mm. Like the use of space, there's a scene where there's a spacewalk and you feel very immersed in that in that walk in itself, the way that the, the spaceship yeah. sort of um, orbits around itself, the circular motion that it takes and you kind of going upside down with it as you're coming up. You know, you just don't know where to look. It makes you feel a little bit uneasy at times. But um, <laughs> what I really liked was I liked the starkness of Earth. I liked almost the warmth of space. It was like there's a community in space and it's... There is that, that, that brilliant sort of contextual comparison, isn't there, where, where it, it sort of inverts the, the, the trope, doesn't it, of, of having space be the warmer, more welcoming place where yeah. we're so often, we're so accustomed to the idea that, you know what, no, space is cold and deadly and you will die there alone. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's interesting to see it the other way around. I also really like the fact that a lot is left up to your own interpretation. Sometimes that can really annoy me. For me, this whole film went against everything that really annoys me about movies, which is weird. So it's a slow movie, but it didn't mm. feel too slow. It had enough sort of moments of, of um, speed that kind of picked you back up again when you thought this is about to drag. It's about two hours. Is it two hours two? Just, I think thereabouts. Yeah. Just over, just a, just a smidge over two hours. I yeah, think. yeah, it is, and it didn't feel it to be honest. I think there was enough going on. There's a few flashbacks in there. There's a few, you know, there's bits that kind of keep you guessing throughout, and then there's some action moments, particularly at a point where uh, George Clooney's character is is trying to get to another site. Essentially, that's when yeah. the majority of the action happens. Um, the only thing I didn't like was there were moments where they showed you this K-12, I think it's called K-12, moon. K-12, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that looked a bit naff for me. The orange sky, the blue, it looked like Felicity Jones has stood on a, on a green screen a little bit, which compared to the rest of the visuals, it was just a little bit lower. But overall, I thought it was a really solid, well-rounded movie. As you say, well-acted, looks beautiful in general. And keeps you in keeps you intrigued. I wouldn't say entertained. It keeps you intrigued. I will say. I mean, just in closing as well, I'll say I like the film very, very much. Uh, two thumbs from me. I think very mm. good. Um, I think it's a little hollow. I don't think it has as much to say as its posturing would lead you to think it does. Like I say, it's got those grand Fair. visual, grand science fiction, and we're kind of accustomed to a little bit more depth than what this gives us. But um, if this is, you know, this is what Clooney can make for Netflix, and you consider his comments recently, what he's been saying, you know, the mid-budget film is dead. Uh, ben Affleck's chimed in on that conversation as well, this conversation about the death of the mid-budget film and how that's the kind of film that they traditionally make. If this is what has become of the mid-budget film, 
you know, like a, just a, you know, a smidge under 100 million for Netflix and it's made with this kind of discerning talent behind it, then good God, I'm so in for that. This is a hell yeah, of Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, it really is. And do you know what? I think this is quite an interesting sign of the times of how we're going to be consuming media and how it's okay to consume media in this way on something like Netflix. Because you don't look at Midnight Sky in any way being on Netflix as making it anything less of an Oscar contender, for instance. You look at the film and think, you know what, There's a we're going to be hearing about this film in, in at least in passing in the run yeah. to award season. Definitely. Yeah, I'm with you. I was well, um, just going to say that. that um, I think I did read something, I think, from The Hollywood Reporter yesterday about... The, like there were 45 movies that are sort of being touted for the Oscar race and Midnight Sky was was one of them. And I can see it for visuals. I can see it maybe for an acting nod, potentially, although it's quite a stretch for George Clooney. But I mm. think maybe a direction nod could be. But, you know, Netflix is going to, this is going to be the year of Netflix in award season, I think, generally, because we have no other choice. Absolutely. And of course, from one streaming platform going to the uh, going to the Oscars to a different one entirely, although sort of by accident. So Disney Plus, which is the exclusive release platform for Soul in uh, in many territories, I think it opened in the US at the end of November. It opens on Disney Plus in the UK and I think Europe from today, from Christmas Day. You, if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you may stream this now. This stars Jamie Foxx as the first black lead in a Pixar movie. And he is Joe Gardner. He is a downtrodden. He's a sort of a school music teacher, like an elementary school or, band or junior teacher. school, yeah, band teacher. Not taken te- terribly seriously, but one day given the recognition of a full-time faculty position, right about the time that he gets the chance to go for the role of his dreams that, that's always been just out of his grasp. After so much of his life wasted pursuing his dreams of being a jazz pianist, he's given the chance to go on stage with musical royalty and perform his little jazz heart out only to then tragically die in an accident and find himself in a desperate bouncing romping adventure through the afterlife teaming up with a sort of like a bratty teenage girl of a soul who's a sidekick named 22 voiced by Tina Fey Dr. Borgensen will be matched with soul number 22 Oh we're going to get into this now Excuse me 22, you come out of this dimension right now. How many times do I have to tell you? I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. Place. I don't want to. You will go to Earth and have a lot. Make me. 22 has been at the U seminar for quite some time and has had such notable mentors as Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, and Mother Teresa. <laughs> I made her cry. Ignore that. Put me down. We're truly glad to have you here, Dr. Borgensen. <laughs> It is an honour having you prepare 22 for Earth. I'm going to make you wish you never died. Most people wish that, 22. Okay, so the lesson of this story is do not walk but whilst reading your phone. You might die. (laughs) (laughs) There was a good tie-in app to be released with that one, I think. Yeah. Um, This is a film which I think sits on par with another Disney Pixar movie called Inside Out. It takes Mm. a very different route in the sense that it is almost exponentially clever and wants you to think at a higher level, both adult and child, as to what they're presenting to you. It's more abstract. It's very different in terms of its approach to say something like, I don't know, Up or, you know, your traditional kind of Pixar movies that will just pull out the emotion from you. I didn't find this as emotional. I found this more of a clock ticking in my head going, oh, okay, 
I get it. <laughs> I think I think a, a big part of that is this feels very unoriginal for a Pixar project. It does have a lot of elements that they've they've already utilized and it borrows mm. a lot of tropes and a lot of setups and concepts from, for instance, particularly Inside Out, the way that that depicts the the you know the interior interior of the mind, as it were. Um, this does very much the same kind of thing for the afterlife, depicting different parts, different ways. But also, kind of Coco kind of covered that to an extent recently. Before that, we'd had the Book of Life a few years before that. Yeah. So that was continuing that sort of Latin-inspired take down that down that path. But also you have uh, Wreck-It Ralph. The way that Wreck-It Ralph explored video games is very, very comparable to the way that this covers the, uh, not only covers the uh, the afterlife as well, but also the relationship between Ralph and, uh, who's the character? It's Vanellope, I think. In, in oh, yeah. Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very comparable to the relationship here between <laughs> Joe and 22, even down to that very wry, very witty, yet still kind of bratty way that the adult female you know cable tv performer is voicing that character so i would say very much wreck it ralph for the afterlife i think very very good i think very fun as well yeah i mean i i think it's rather than i loved wreck it ralph from the nostalgic point of view for this i think anyone that loves jazz is going to really yeah, yeah. take to this. Very stylish. Yeah. yeah, it's really stylish. But I think for me, this felt more closer to Inside Out, just in every sort mm. of more shape and form than I would say to Wreck-It Ralph. But, and for that reason, I didn't love Inside Out. I did, it took me away from what I loved about Pixar. So for that reason, this whole stuff about the afterlife for me was okay. I didn't, I didn't kind of run away with how much I loved it. It was an enjoyable movie. And I think people will get a lot out of it. I think it's down to personal preference as to how extreme you want to go with the level of creativity when it comes to this movie. Absolutely. So uh, thumbs up, thumbs down from you then, Sol? Oh, thumbs up, 100%. A thumbs up. And I think it will be really enjoyed by fra- families of all ages uh, this Christmas period. So well worth your time. I think so as well. So two thumbs up from me as well. That's Soul. That is on Disney Plus from today, from Christmas Day. And don't forget Midnight Sky, which is uh, out now already, has been for a couple of days, on Netflix. That's George Clooney's latest, Midnight Sky. Welcome back to Off Screen. So you've heard what is available on your streaming platforms like Netflix and Disney Plus, but let's have a look at what is available on Freeview. So we are kicking off Boxing Day with, oh God, one of my most favourite films actually to have seen in the cinema. I'll be really interested to see how this portrays on the small screen. I'm sure if you've got a sound bar or if you've got your biggest TV (laughs) available, it will not um, detract from it because it is, this is so great. It is Dunkirk. This is on Boxing Day, 9.05pm. This is Christopher Nolan's take on the story of the World War II soldiers from uh, Britain, Belgium and France as they try to evacuate the town of Dunkirk during the battle with the German forces. So This particular story is told from three perspectives, which you get fully immersed in from both land, air and sea, and is guaranteed to have you on the edge of your seat throughout. You're weekend sailors, not the bloody Navy. You should be at home. There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. Turn it around! We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. Where's the bloody Air Force? 
Oh, this was so good, wasn't it, Dunkirk? Oh. I bloody love Dunkirk. What a film. That ticking clock has literally yeah. just got my heart racing again. It like, does, doesn't it? I mean, it, I, I, I was so excited, I managed to somehow forget that Harry Styles is in this movie. Yeah, I know. But you've also got Kenneth Branagh, you've got Tom Hardy in this. You know, don't worry, guys, <laughs> we're not pinning it all on Harry Styles. But he's all right in this. He's good. I mean, every every character in this is relatively like an ensemble mm. character. It's not something that's, that anyone's leading Very the pack. Much, yeah. Um, I would say as well, handy double bill now between this and I think 1917. Even though they're different wars, it's very interesting to see two contemporary war movies and the different routes that uh, both contemporary filmmakers take with them, especially given how technical Nolan likes to go with how he tells the story. And then you've got, for instance, over on uh, 1917, Sam Mendes's a lot more elaborate technical take on it, which is actually you know, a physically technical take on the single set. And it's an interesting comparison to be made between yeah, the two. Yeah, for me, I think Dunkirk wins every time. This is this is something that I prefer I just, Dunkirk as well, definitely. Yeah, I remember sitting in the IMAX watching this and just being blown away by it because when we say it's immersive, it's, Ooh, yeah. it is like that that ticking clock is is continual throughout this movie and it just <laughs> that's what keeps you on the edge of your seat you feel like time yeah. is running out so guys give it your full attention turn on your sound bars sit on your biggest tv and tell your kids to shut up because this is going to be something that you just want to give Put that phone away. attention to yeah exactly give 100 percent attention to this so bbc one 905 p.m on boxing day i mean we've Half of the UK have got nothing else to do, so we might as well just sit down and mm. watch it anyway, not to get political. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, over to Sunday night then. And uh, so, Sunday 27th, I think we're now firmly into what they refer to as the Merinium, that limbo period between yep. Christmas and New Year's. You know the one. None of us quite know what day it is. We wake up, usually in some sort of hungover stupor. We, we stumble our way to the kitchen. We scramble for the remotes to put something on whatever we sky plus to the night before what will you have recorded from the night of sunday the 27th well hopefully it'll be highlander which was on which is on the horror channel on sunday night at 9 p.m uh, i'm a big fan of highlander the first oh, so am I. um the sequel is garbage the third movie is i don't know kind of okay but then garbage the fourth one Endgame, which is kind of the star trek generations of the franchise which features the tv one and the movie one meeting up that's garbage but kind of okay and then pretty much all of them since then have just been mostly garbage if we're honest uh, but this is the original and best this stars christopher lambert as uh, connor mcleod of the clan mcleod an immortal but also a scottish highlander so he's a literally you know, he's a Scottish Highlander with, you know, eternal life, effectively, who poses as an antiques dealer in the then-present day of late 80s, I think San Francisco, is uh, then drawn into the ongoing conflict between other immortals as they attempt to cut off one another's heads and uh, suck out each other's life forces. So two of them face off in combat. The dead one gives his life force up to the victor. You're an antique dealer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's that? A sword? Wise up, smartass. It's a Toledo Salamanca broadsword worth about a million bucks. So? So you want to hear a theory? Mm-hmm. You went down that garage to buy this sword from that guy. What's his name? I don't know. You tell me. Okay, his name is Amon Fazil. You fought about the price and cut off his head. <laughs> want to hear another theory? This Fazil was so upset about lousy wrestling tonight. 
He went down to the garage and in a fit of depression cut off his own head. It's not funny, Walt. I love the fact that A, Christopher Lambert's playing a <laughs> Highlander, but he's French. And <laughs> that's not even the worst one. I mean, Sean Connery turns up in this as his mentor, yeah. Ramirez, yeah. who's an Egyptian. An Egyptian. Just to put this in context, I'm Egyptian. So how convincing do you think Sean Connery is as an Egyptian? I mean, come on. I just, I thought I remembered Sean Connery just wearing a kilt in this. I can't remember. <laughs> All I remember, no, I look, like a Spaniard type dress, I think. Oh, I can't remember. All I all I do remember about this is this is one of those films that my dad introduced me to when I was way too young to watch it, <laughs> and I have not watched it since. And so, therefore, this is coming very highly on my list of things to mm. revisit. I hope it doesn't feel too dated. I think it's I think it's something that I, I will bring back lots of really fond memories, actually. It's very strange, actually. I mean, you say you don't want it to feel dated. You do want it to, because that's kind of the charm of Highlander. It's very, very much the kind of film that you would only get away with making in, like, 1986, 87, when it was Highlander now um but i mean it's like australian director russell mulcahy, russell mulcahy you know who went on to direct the shadow with alec baldwin and only really directs movies of that kind of pedigree helming this relatively low budget but still decently funded international effort that inexplicably stars this french actor christopher lambert for some reason as a scottish highlander who's been living in north america for like a hundred or so years and presumably picked up none of the accent it's got all of that framing of the 80s like you know whenever there's been a love scene during which the saxophone plays as the camera pans yeah, out the window yeah. and when it cuts back you know that it's going to be like the the camera tracking the dude's naked ass as he walks through his apartment with their clothes strewn across the, the, the floor beneath his feet you know that kind of gratuitous 80s cinematography that you, you really only see crystallised in the form of wonderful you know timely pieces such as this you know powered by entire soundtracks written by bands like Queen, in this case. You just don't make them like that anymore. That's why the idea of something like a Ryan Reynolds remake of this just horrifies me so much. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So guys, go back to the best. Go back to the original. <laughs> Watch it in all its 80s glory where nothing makes sense. Um, Highlander, Horror Channel, 9pm on Sunday night. Perfect. Now, moving straight on to Monday, like Dunkirk, this is a movie that I think immersively, if you watched it mm. at the cinema, just hit you like a ton of bricks. It's brilliant. Um, the John Favreau's The Jungle Book, um, so it's his retelling of this on BBC One, 3pm. This is your live action CGI film that tells you about the orphan boy who's guided by his animal guardians um, and set for a journey of self-discovery whilst evading the very threatening Shere Khan. It's a honeysuck for winter. Have you lost your mind? You said you wouldn't get mad. Did you listen to anything Akira taught you? There's no place in the jungle for these tricks. You want to do this, you do this in the man village. But I'm helping Baloo get ready for hibernation. Bears don't hibernate in a jungle. What are you teaching him? Not full hibernation, but I nap a lot. 
Bill Murray there as Baloo, and as you can hear as well, um, Ben Kingsley as, uh, oh God, what's the panther's name now? Bagheera, oh. I think. Yeah, Bagheera, I think I think so. yeah. Bagheera. Um, this is the one that's got an all-star cast that includes uh, Scarlett Johansson as uh, is it Car the Snake? Mm. You've got uh, Christopher Walken as King Louis. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito's in there, of course. Idris Elba as uh, as Sheer Khan, genuinely terrifying villain. And this film opened just the floodgates for what it would allow Disney to do uh, with its back catalogue of animated films. We got um, The Lion King, obviously directly out of this. It would reteam John. Favre with the same studio like can you come back and do this again but let's ditch the one person this time and just make the whole thing animated and that's how we wound up with the lion king which we're now getting a, a, a barry jenkins directed prequel sequel hybrid too i think which um of what of the lion of king? lion lion king oh, we're getting like lion king one and a half by barry jenkins which is one of the most bizarre things i've ever heard i can't wait to see what becomes of that God. um and, and you know of course this kind of helped solidify the disney live action adaptation brand i think it's a very very good movie uh, mm. i particularly like the cast i think in particular Idris Elba is superb in it. I think this is my favourite of the canon of live-action adaptations. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, I, I did you go to the uh, the screening, the multimedia screening for this? Just out of interest. I, I think I went to the Monday morning. I, went, I was in Dolby on Monday morning. I remember seeing oh. this. I treated it like a really uneventful movie, and I saw it, and I was absolutely blown away by it. And I was like, "Yeah, there's really something to that. Nice. Yeah, Isn't that great feeling when you don't expect something and you get blown away by a tentpole." Yeah. Well, you missed out because uh, they brought in puppies in the multimedia. They brought uh, they. <laughs> They had like wolf puppies or whatever. They oh are. man! Well, the one I always had—I always had the Secret Life of Pets one when uh, Universal turned the Odeon Leicester Square into a petting zoo, like a two-story petting zoo. Yeah. And the puppy exhibit in there, which I just got lost in, it was—it was insane. I was—I never felt more loved in my life. Yeah, it was uh, honestly like when when these studios go all out to impress us journalists, <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Um, but this is a brilliant film. This is one I'll most certainly be sat down wanting to watch yet again. And again, I would encourage you, get the soundbar out. Watch it on your really big TV if you have one. It's on at a good time as well. Uh, 3 p.m. on a Monday afternoon. Bank holiday Monday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you're stuck in at home anyway, which most of us are because, you know, the situation at the moment, then what better? This is, I think, a great for the whole fam, fun for the whole family kind of filmic romp. I, I think this is a great movie and everyone should sit and watch it. Absolutely. So that is your first half of the week sorted. Uh, we will be back very shortly with some wondrous films to kick off the next half of the week. Looking to stay in the loop with the latest movie news? Then say hello to The Daily Reel, your bite-sized hit of the biggest happenings, hirings, firings, release dates, scandals, and everything else going on behind the silver screen. Delivered to your ears every weekday morning in less time than you'll spend in the shower. Subscribe to The Daily Reel on all major podcast platforms or ask Alexa to install The Daily Reel skill for your morning flash briefing. Make your morning cinematic with The Daily Reel. Welcome back to Off Screen, and as my dear co-presenter Miss Perfect just said, we need a wondrous start to the second half of your week, so we're going to take you to ITV tonight, Tuesday, 29th of December. We're in the second night of the Millennium. Everything feels just a little bit hazier. We're losing focus. We're sort of getting towards the middle of that time. We don't know how far away New Year's is, but... 
There's always Wonder Woman to keep us grounded on ITV, 7.30 for the evening. Bex, Wonder Woman. I know, yes. It, the, the 2017 Paddy Jenkins movie that kind of changed the game in a way, um, for DC particularly. <laughs> um, this, yeah. 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 Um, this, is, um, this is a film that I think if you are feeling like you really missed out on the woeful uh, box office um, takings for Wonder Woman 1984 that has come out, um, (laughs) then, yeah, I mean, we haven't had the UK uh, numbers yet, but across the board, it has not done, as, as was expected, any money because of the pandemic. But if you're thinking, I need to just, you know, before it comes out on home entertainment, which it will do, uh, in January, watch the original. Then here Isn't we have it. it. So Wonder Woman is it the UK. We're going to get it on premium VOD on the 13th of January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we you, obviously we're going to need to. If you've not seen uh, the first one, then you're going to need to have seen it in the next like three weeks. Yeah, so you've so got time. You've so got the chance. You've got yeah. the chance. And so what we're seeing is is um, in present day Paris, you've got Diana Prince played by the wonderful Gal Gadot. Um, she receives this photographic plate by. Um, Wayne Enterprises, so from Bruce Wayne. So it's bringing you into the DC verse mm. here. And um, it's a picture of her and four men taken during World War One. So that prompts her to go and look back at her past and find out, well, we find out what was going on and who Diana Prince really is. <laughs> Thank God, you're not dead. Hurrah <laughs> oh, and huzzah. I did think you were dead until I got your call, you know. He's been gone for weeks, not a single word. Very unlike him. I'm introducing myself. It's Etta Candy. I'm Steve Trevor's secretary. What is a secretary? Ooh, well, I do everything. I go where he tells me to go and I do what he tells me to do. Oh, well, where I'm from, that's called slavery. I really like her. Fantastic. Oh, Ladies, have you? I do. I like her. And it does rather feel like that, except the pay's not good. We've got our work cut out for us, haven't we? So this, as we say, is um, Tuesday the 29th. This is going to be four days after Wonder Woman 1984 opens um, on HBO Max in the US as well as in cinemas. So the cat is going to be very firmly out of the bag, I think, online for any possible spoilers then for Wonder Woman 1984. So you might want to get the first one seen just in case, you know, just just ahead of time. So this is the first chance you've got to watch it. I say give Wonder Woman a watch before the internet inevitably ruins 1984 and it's few little surprises for you. And Wonder Woman 84 was very fun. I'm sure we'll both agree. Uh, also very fun. And we never get to watch anything on this channel, which is fittingly enough called Watch. On Wednesday the 30th, 9pm, a belter of a contemporary comedy. This held from all the way back in 2008 when the world was uh, facing things like Pineapple Expresses and Tropic Thunders and Iron Men and Dark Knights. Out came Will Ferrell and John C. Riley with their comedy, Step Brothers. Remember Step Brothers, Bex? I do, I do. And I, it's just got me thinking, like, how, how many times has Will Ferrell and John C. Riley like, teamed up? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because this wasn't even the first time they teamed up. So the first time was on, like, Talladega Nights. This is, like, the second time, and then they do Holmes and Watson. And very obviously the second is, I think, the most universally beloved. Talladega Nights is kind of a cult fandom. Yeah. Didn't do well at the box office. And the less said about Holmes and Watson, oh, my God, that film was terrible. 
I, I, you know, I just can't even, I need to move past it. If I dwell, it's just going to spiral into a rant. What a waste of my time. Oh my God, I feel like a piece of myself died in that screening. I just can't take it. No, sorry. Anyway, I'm moving past it. I'm moving past it. It's all good. Anyway, Step Brothers is great. Step Brothers is really, really good. I'm not thinking about Holmes and Watson anymore. <laughs> I'm not trying to swallow my rage at being reminded of the existence of Holmes and Watson because Step Brothers is really great. In it... John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are basically both man-children, effectively. Yeah. You know, the man-child offspring of single parents who meet randomly at a conference one day and get together and Brady Bunch-style have to merge their families. And the idea is you can't have one 40-something-year-old man-child forced to share a house with another 40-something-year-old man-child. This is all going to go chaotic, which, of course, it swiftly does. Let's play a game, all right? Mm. On the count of three... Name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. Favorite non-pornographic magazine to to. Good housekeeping. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John John Samos. Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. Oh, don't leave me hanging on the hall of notes there. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a great, great film. And also, I, I just think this is kind of, I was like thinking, when was Will Ferrell's real heyday? Like, what was the peak of it? Did this fall into that kind of Anchorman time frame? I, I think the heyday of Will Ferrell, I think, really is held as being from the point of... Uh, either elf or old school. I think it comes That's in earlier. with old school. Continue, I think release date wise I think it starts with old school and it kind of ends with Step Brothers yeah. and that's kind of the bracket through which like we see the range of his comedy and he does off kilter things like Stranger Than Fiction in that time and things like that um, but I remember I was watching the, the, the holiday movies that made us on Netflix and they were yeah. talking about Elf and how Elf was deemed to be a project it was a really risky project and, you know, yeah. they were taking a chance on Will Ferrell being this lead and the only thing they had to go on was like his work Saturday on, Night on, Live Oxbury. Yeah. Well, there's Saturday Night Live as well, but like as as far as feature films went, yes. it was only really a night. It was only really a night at the Roxbury, and this villain role he'd done in Zoolander. Uh, but then Old School came out like a couple of months before uh, Elf, hit huge, made like an overnight sensation of Will Ferrell, and then forced like an attempt at re-editing Elf to capitalize on you know yeah. the star of Old School. And it's it's very strange. Those happen very very close together, but it's an example of how um, how things you know move a lot quicker time wise in the age of the internet. That those two things seem to feel like they happened in the same fortnight when you were living them, but were actually about six months apart. And if that yeah. happened now, it'd be a very different state of uh, state of affairs. Uh, yeah, Step Brothers. I think it's absolutely one of the most quotable comedies ever. You've absolutely got to watch it. I think it's terrific. Yeah, and it's on the Watch Channel. So if you haven't heard of that before, mm-hmm. go and give it a search. <laughs> Watching, they play a lot of Doctor Who during the day. I, I revisit a lot of David Tennant era Doctor Who. I'm not going to lie. Okay, fair enough. Um, that's 9 p.m. on Wednesday. Uh, moving on to Thursday. Oh, one. Oh, one of my all-time favourites. But I question this. Is this the new version? This is the new version, uh, so we've got two Disney live-action adaptations in our roster this week. I sense you're let down. Did you not enjoy this as a live-action adaptation? We should stress, by the way, because obviously we haven't queued this up yet, we are talking, of course, of 2017's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, starring Emma... 
Emma Watson, Watson. and Dan Stevens. And I Luke like... Evans and Josh Gad and Kevin Klein and Hugh McGregor. I liked everything in this apart from Emma Watson. She was not Really? She was not the belle that I wanted. She just looks like a 12-year-old the whole time. It's the problem that I've got. Right. Hear me out. I can I can I think make a compelling argument for you to not only accept Emma Watson as belle, but to actually completely 180 your opinion and like her for being belle. And it all hinges of course upon this clip. Now, we should stress, of course, Beauty and the Beast adaptation of Belle, who is, you know, forced to give herself up to the beast, who li- the cursed beast who lives in the castle, who has imprisoned her father. She gives herself up without knowing that the beast is slave to a curse that will uh, force him to live as a beast forever unless he can enjoy. Is it true love's first kiss or he can just enjoy true love for the first time? And that she may, in fact, be the uh, the gateway through which he will achieve that so that profound love. And of course, our argument that we're going to make about Emma Watson hinges upon this introduction to her character. Right, now hear me out on this one. Mm-hmm. You and a lot of other people who have enjoyed Beauty and the Beast, who have grown up with Beauty and the Beast, have in fact, this entire time, and I have to do this in like 60 seconds of time reasons, you have all, for this entire time, been misjudging a core concept of Beauty and the Beast. You all inherently think that Belle is a good and nice person. Belle is not a good and nice person. Belle is, in fact, a smug, arrogant, full-of-herself, bratty hipster. Okay, that is who Belle is. Think about it. She lives in this lovely little town that she shows off to us through the Bonjour Good Day sequence, when in reality she's walking through smack-talking it the entire time. Yes, I'm hot and in a sort of offbeat, nerdish kind of a way, but I know it, and I'm going to play on it. I'm better than all of you people. Look, I've read every book in your your tiny-ass little library. I am better than all of you. Most of you have never read. I've read everything in here. Good day, bonjour. She's kind of a know-it-all full of herself hipster type, okay? In which regard, is Emma Watson not just the most perfect casting in the world ever? As a smug, know-it-all, bratty hipster of minor low-level achievement, who's pretty hot, but clearly kind of knows it and plays on it a lot. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But if you listen to that clip, you'd hope Mm. that there was some sort of bratty hipster spark about her performance, not an (laughs) amateur sixth form, I think I might think about going to drama school one day. Oh, no, wait, I got a lucky break in Harry Potter and now I can pick and I can do whatever films I want. No, 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 no. 
right? I get your point and I'm with you and I don't, I don't, di- like, I don't disagree you're with what you're saying you're about Belle. You're smack talking her for everything I just No, 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 but what I'm saying is, is that the, <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, is I just don't think Emma Watson's a good actress. She's nothing. <laughs> I, 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 disc- I think she's showing up and just playing herself, and I think it kind of works. Like, I think if we were really objective about it and we accepted who and what Belle was, we'd think of this as like Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. There's a live-action Beauty and the Beast. If you've not seen it, you might love it. You might hate it. Depends on how attached you are to the original. I'm semi-attached, but I actually quite like the uh, remake. Bex, I sense you, you don't like the redo. I'm massively attached to the original. I appreciate mm-hmm. everything the whole cast in the live action has done apart from Emma Watson. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's absolutely fair. Can we also agree as well that Ewan McGregor has the worst French accent of anyone I have ever heard in existence and his cover of Be Our Guest is tantamount to a crime against humanity itself. Well, actually, I was just going to say they shouldn't have added in that extra song, but, you know, if you want to go about no. it on Ewan McGregor, that's fine. Um, moving on. <laughs> On. Let's finish off the week. Let's finish off the week with someone that I might like to murder on the Orient Express, Emma Watson. Um, <laughs> we're not going down that route. We're just going to go and focus on the fact that this is another remake, Kenneth Branagh's remake of this, which I actually quite enjoyed. This is an all-star cast of Hercule Poirot um, and his take on a play... Well, Kenneth Branagh's take of this story and this very famous private investigator on a train journey where the detective decides to investigate and find the culprit of the pas- uh, amongst the passengers who are on board. Well, hello. Eyes linger any longer, I'll have to charge rent. I'll pay. Mm. Have another drink. Are you insulted? <laughs> Disappointed. Some men have a good look. All they have to do is keep their mouth shut, and they can take home any prize they want. Still, the mouth opens. So, Michelle Pfeiffer, Johnny Depp there, and they are, of course, part of the huge ensemble cast that make up uh, Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express. And the time is perfect to revisit that, what with mm. uh, Death on the Nile and the follow-up to that, which is going to start like Gal Gadot and uh, Army Hammer, cast members like that. Russell Brand, I think, is in that one. Um, that is That was meant to be out for this Christmas, but has, of course, been shelved because of COVID. Uh, and is coming down, I think, is it... Is, first quarter of this next year I think it's still coming so the time is perfect to check out this all-star effort in which Kenny Branagh brings the best moustache in the business to bear so that is on Friday the 1st of January on Film 4 New Year's Day at 9pm coming up next the best things coming to streaming for the next seven days Welcome back to Offscreen. We are back with all of your streaming goodies for the Christmas and New Year week in between. Uh, We're kicking off with a little bit of a sing-song, a bit of a downtrodden sing-song, actually. Les Miserables. Poor old Hugh Jackman. He's in a bit of a tiz, isn't he, as Jean Valjean. Uh, This is available on Amazon Prime from Monday the 28th. This was the one that, you know, when you were watching the Oscars that year and suddenly every single cast member of Les Mis is doing their, um, you know, uh, their sing-song in the the interval of it. It, it, It's just surreal. But I really enjoyed this. This is a remake I did enjoy. Yeah, I mean, 
don't. Uh, this is. It was better than I expected it to be, but I still didn't especially enjoy it. Like for one thing, I mean, Russell Crowe was a terrible, terrible singer. Yeah, it's awful um, singer. Ever be allowed to attempt to? I don't. I mean, I, I think he thinks it's carrying a tune, but it's more straddling it atop your shoulder and just shrugging it at people than it is carrying it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially when you put him opposite someone, you know, with the pipes of Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Which seems just unsporting. You kind of just say, no, thank you, Javert. It's fine. It's okay. But obviously, this is the movie that picked up Anne Hathaway's uh, 15 Minutes, uh, which almost topped Judi Dench of winning her Best Supporting Actress uh, award. Almost, yeah. Yeah, but for one song, Anne Hathaway wins the award. And, of course, we must not overlook that uh, the success of Les Mis did attempt a recreation of this this particular Oscar-friendly formula several years later when uh, Universal and this director would attempt to, to replicate said formula for cats. And we all saw exactly how that turned out. And if you haven't, that's your Sky Cinema premiere, I think, on is it New Year's Eve or wow. Boxing Day? Or Do, you something like that? Do you get to pay for it? Do you get to pay for it? If you're a Sky Cinema customer, you are paying for it. And I bet you don't ask for the refund that month, despite the fact that you absolutely should. But, uh, oh, by the way, I don't know if we've covered this. Um, Cats, according to an interview recently with uh, James Corden to promote The Prom for Netflix, according to James Corden, the butthole cut absolutely exists. That's a thing that exists. So, yeah, Les Mis, which is way better than Cats, even though Russell Crowe is terrible at singing in it, is on Amazon Prime from Monday the 28th, the same day as a movie I know we both like a lot more. Yes. It's The Proposal. Tell us about The Proposal, Bex. Yeah, give us a little bit of Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock any day. So The Proposal is about... um... It's about an executive, uh, so a New York editor for a magazine, I think for a magazine. That's that's Sandra Bullock, isn't it? Yeah, Sandra Bullock. She plays Margaret in this. Um, She faces Mm. deportation to Canada, of all places. So she convinces her assistant, played by Ryan Reynolds, to marry her in return for a promotion um, and a trip to his hometown slightly brings a few surprises along the way. What, are your parents dead? Oh, no, his are are very much alive. Very Very much. much. They're, uh, well... We were going to tell them this weekend, Gammy's 90th birthday, and the whole family's coming together, and we thought it'd be a nice surprise. And where is this surprise going to take place? At uh, Andrew's parents' house. Where, where, where is that located again? Um, pff, why am I doing all the talking? Jump in. <laughs> Sitka. Sitka. Alaska. Alaska. You're going to go to Alaska this weekend? Yeah. Yes, yes. We are going to Alaska. Alaska. That's where uh, that's where my little that's where my Andrew's from. So this is uh, one of those, I think, secular entries in Sandra Bullock's filmography where I think about every five years or so she goes back to a really mainstream, really broad, really sort of typical comedy for herself and sort of refreshes the well, reminds us, you know, why we fell in love with her in the first place. You look at how her career started uh, in the mid-90s with things like While You Were Sleeping and things like Ooh, that. Love and that. then, of course, you... You jump ahead a few years then to when she does Miss Congeniality, and that kind of refreshes the fan base yeah. for her. And then, and then, of course, this is 2000, I think 2008, 
which is, you know, seven years after that, she kind of jumps back in and refreshes. And this is Sandra Bullock's big move. And it's a very, very clever move because what you get in each of these career cycles is she turns out the one for the fans, the, the comedy, the broad comedy that she does. Then she'll do the Oscar Beatty one. Then she'll do the, the quirky for the girls one. Then she, And she has like a, 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 a formula that she does follow. And this is this is the start of one of the sort of cycles of this formula. And I think she's great in it. Yeah. I think this is the film, though, that did have the inadvertent side effect of finally legitimising Ryan Reynolds as well. This gave Ryan Reynolds the mainstream success that he'd very much been looking for at that point. And from here, he springboarded into other things, wound up becoming Deadpool. So, you know, yeah. wound up becoming Deadpool, uh, hooked up with a chick from Gossip Girl. You know, all's well that ends well. I mean, Black Widow is literally a footnote in his life. Oh, yeah. It's great being Ryan Reynolds. I mean, <laughs> good Lord. I'd kill to be Ryan Reynolds. I mean, Alanis Morissette is a memory to that man. Just imagine. Just imagine that. I'm not breaking down psychologically at all, imagining that at all. No, not, not at all. Anyway, The Help is on Amazon Prime on Tuesday the 29th of this month. That's very good. That stars uh, Octavia Spencer and Viola Davis. And it's why I get those two actresses confused to this day, because they crossed over in this movie. Yeah, and actually, we have to say as well, everything that we're talking about on streaming this week is all on Amazon Prime. So Amazon Prime, we said last it week... Is, isn't it? Yeah. How weird is that? Yeah, I know. Um, we, we did say last week that Amazon Prime is smashing it at the moment, and they really are. So if you guys don't have a Prime membership, you will want to rethink mm-hmm. that because this is well, well worth it. Um, the help is... Um, yeah, get expedited shipping and lots of movies. Absolutely. Uh, this is the story of um, Skeeter, who is an aspiring author who decides to write a book on African-American maids and the struggles that they face on a daily basis. So you mentioned Viola Davis. You mentioned Octavia Spencer. Emma Stone is also in this. Bryce Dallas Howard is, is also Emma, in this. Is Emma Stone Skeeter, she I is, think. She is, yes. She's yeah. the, um, Eugenia Phelan. the nasty one. Yeah, she is, yeah. Eugenia Phelan. What a name. What a name. Um, but great performances all round. I think there was a few Oscar... Nods There was a lot of buzz around the writing of this as well, I think, at the time. And of course, it is the kind of film that you could just look at the poster and you could see the Academy, uh, you know, Loving. foaming at the mouth. Yeah. It, it, it is, you know, it's a, it's a nice, safe studio film that has some bold colour choices on its posters, as bold a colour choice as it does in its narrative when it makes impassioned speeches about being better people, the kind of thing that they can give Best Picture awards to and then sleep safely in their beds that night knowing they made the world a better place moving on token film each year moving on (sighs) Uh, that is the help (laughs) this on amazon prime i'm not gonna let van i'm not bitter about green book at all no No, i'm not not and i don't know why you are because i loved green book but anyway uh moving on to something completely different the maze runner um also available on amazon prime as of Thursday the 31st um, this is uh, in fact our, all our next selections are available from Thursday the 31st so the Maze Runner um, this is an interesting one I remember watching the first one and quite liking it and then it just went thoroughly downhill <laughs> yeah the first one's not bad is it the first one's like a concept thriller it's, it, the first one's not actually that dissimilar to something like Cube yeah. you know like strangers wake up in a saw maze kind of a concept and it's literally who's the one this is it uh, Dylan Dylan O'Brien Dylan O'Brien I can never remember these kids they've always got like three names but you know they're always like you know Chad 
Stephen Hilpexon, you know, or something like that. You know, they they, all went got, to private schools. Put it that way. They all went to private schools, but they've all got the same exactly stylized, messy hair. Yeah. Chad Michael Michelson, you know that kind of dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad Philip Philipson, you know that guy. Anyway, um, so this this is the one where Chad Philip Philipson uh, wakes up in um, like a, a grassy clearing with a bunch of other dudes, and they all woke there one at a time, like in sequence, a few weeks apart, and all that's before them is a maze and if they go into the maze they don't get out but odds are something's going to kill them while they're in there and you know he and his merry band of you know a few of these dudes must uh, venture in and navigate the maze and find a way out because for some reason this has never been a priority before now and uh, it's made a priority by the arrival of Kaya Scodelario as the first girl to enter the environment. It's not bad, like you say. I remember quite enjoying this because it does yeah. have that sci-fi, it's, you know, cube kind of saw concept going for it. It's a bit um, Lord of the Flies meets The Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. That's kind of... But not, but in no way as good as either of those. But I think equally very watchable, um, you know, worth your time. But then you'll get hooked in on this one and then you'll go, yeah, I'll watch the sequel. And then you're going to be like, no, why did I do that? Yeah, and then you regret that decision, yeah. don't you? Yeah. I mean, I think... I think it's is it is it the end of this movie that just has a that just has a particular overload of exposition. I think it is this one. There's just an overload of exposition where you're like, okay, that's a thing we know now. Okay then, and then you get two movies that kind of suck, but this one's really good. Anyway, uh, one that I haven't seen that's on, on Amazon Prime the same day <clears throat> is um, The Chaperone. Yeah. Now, this is notably written for the screen by Julian Fellows, who gave us, of course, Gosford The Park. Downton of Abbeys. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and Gosford Park. Um, based on Laura Moriarty's book, it stars Elizabeth McGovern and Hayley Lou Richardson. And it is a 1920s Kansas set story um, about a, uh, a young Kansas woman who um, basically ac- accompanies a young dancer to New York City in search of fame and how their lives are forever changed. Very much for the Downton crowd, very much for the Gatsby kind of a crowd. You know, the, your, your button-up Aristotle period piece kind of a, a crowd. You know, your, 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 the, the less ironic Flowers for Algernon fans. You know what I mean? The the, the, the Frasier crowd, let's just say. So that's uh, that's on there. That's a prime from the thirty first. As is one of my favourite movies of the last decade. I Are you joking? I, you're going to say that Widows is not great. I did not like Widows at all. So how overrated. can you not like Widows? It is incredible. No, so massively no, overrated. No. I will oh. die on this hill, perfect. Oh my goodness! I don't want to end well, the I'll, show I'll, like this, no. but we're gonna. <laughs> It's Christmas, we're, technically ending, we're ending the year technically like this. So Widows, which is uh, Steve McQueen's uh, 2018 adaptation of the Linda Plant novel, which had previously been adapted to the screen as a, an ITV miniseries, I think. This stars uh, Viola Davis as uh, the leader of a group of widows of a heist team who team up to take down the team's next big score um, under the assumption of uh, vengeance, but also the fact that they won't get caught because, well, who'd think? Who'd think it would be them? Our go date is in three days. The night of the debate. Now all of our work is worth nothing if we don't move this money in fast. We gotta start thinking like professionals. We're in business together. There's not gonna be some cozy reunion. After this job, we're done. We have three days to look and move like a team of men. The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. 
Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Viola Davis there on a rousing speech. I can't believe you didn't like this. I loved this. I thought Daniel Kaluuya in particular, I thought was great in this. This was so Steve McQueen. And it's it. I'm not a massive fan, apart from 10 mm. Years a Slave, but I find him and some of his filming something something great about me. I'd much rather go and watch Ocean's 8 and have some I fun. Was also a fan of, uh, I was also a very big fan of 10 Years a Slave and the two other years of slavery afterwards that made 12. 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. Right. So, uh, Widows, meanwhile. Widows, which I love dearly. Widows for me is like Gone Girl. It's just, it, it's not no. even that director's best film. It's just an example of what they do best. And I love it for that. Uh, I can't wait to watch that. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. Oh, I'll you enjoy that. that. And, and for the rest oh, of you listening no. in, it's better that I manage your expectations now so that maybe you might enjoy it. There's no guarantee. Look, for, for everyone else, you know what? Into the Spider-Verse is on Netflix. So, you know, go on and enjoy that. You know that that's great. And that was also 2018, incidentally. That was around the same time as Widows. But uh, alas, that, uh, that rounds out a year. I wanted to end a year on a positive, and what's more positive than talking about Into the Spider-Verse, Bex? Yeah, fine. Good. You, you pulled it back, Van. You pulled it back. But what a year it's been. Look, we've kept you guys on the couch we've kept you going through in this bonkers 2020 that will be remembered for so many things unfortunately not necessarily for great new movies <laughs> i mean do you know what's weird is like i feel like due to certain things overshadowing it we're not going to remember 2020 as the year of tiger king which seems like imagine imagine tiger king being forgettable yeah. Like, Easy. imagine a year in which Tiger King wasn't amongst the top five most memorable things that happened. I need to make a list of all the memorable, thing, memorable things that have happened this year, because and I'll put Tiger King on there for sure. But, guys, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. We've loved bringing you, as we can, in whatever way, shape, and form, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Um, we will be back on the 15th of January, Friday the 15th of January, giving ourselves a few weeks off just to chill out, relax, Cool, shoot some b-balls outside of school you know all that kind of stuff and um, we'll be back in the new year kicking off with Blythe Spirit which I think will be really exciting and also Stardust the Bowie movie sorry Johnny Flynn I'm really excited I've been about looking this. forward to this one definitely Johnny Flynn as Bowie I feel like this is the casting he was born for yeah yeah I'm a big Johnny Flynn fan I think um, this will be a really exciting way to kick off January so please enjoy the rest of your wonderful Christmas day have a very safe uh, time between Christmas and New Year. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. And let's hear it for a much more positive 2021. 